Thank you, Brother Steve. And turn with me to Acts 14, again, as we continue our study through this great book. Well, can I ask a question in, as we start the sermon this morning? Have you ever felt like giving up? Has that ever crossed your mind, just giving up? I mean, it's 2020, so yeah, every head should be nodding, right? You know what I mean? We, I think we've all at least felt a little bit like that this, this past year. There are times in our lives, uh, either when things are not the most ideal or uh, when there's a whole collection of weights in our lives that, that just seem to just keep piling up one after another, wherein when you finally put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, you just feel like collapsing. That happens. It happens in life. And spiritually speaking, as our walk and our walk as Christians, it can be no different. Oftentimes in the constant battle for the faith, battle against sin, both in our, our own hearts and our own lives, as, as well as living the precepts of the gospel and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, we can get tired. We can get wearisome and, and ready to give up. And just again, one other thing just keeps piling up after the next, and thus you get tempted to hang up the armor of God sometimes. Just hang it up and just call it quits. But... As Christians, we are called to persevere no matter what. We are. We're called to keep pressing on despite the storms of life and despite what may be happening in the world around us and indeed what may be happening in our own personal lives, whether it's good or bad. We are called to keep pressing on. And so today I want to talk about perseverance. I want to talk about perseverance in the faith no matter what happens. That's actually the title of our sermon today is Persevering No Matter What. Persevering No Matter What. How exactly do we keep going? How do we keep serving Christ faithfully despite all sorts of bumps in the road in our lives? And how do we continue to honor the Lord despite ever fluctuating circumstances in the world and in our lives? And, and again, what does perseverance as a Christian actually look like? And so for this, we're going to examine Paul and Barnabas' ministry, their continued ministry that we've been studying first to the city of Iconium in chapter 14 today. And again, as we saw last week, the government officials in Pisidia, they had spurred on, they were spurred on by their Jewish constituents there, and, and thus they persecuted them and essentially pushed them out of their district for preaching the gospel. Turning back to chapter 13, verse 49, it states, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But... Again, even though they were pushed out of that city, this didn't stop the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. It says in verse 51 of chapter 13 that they simply shook off the dust of their feet against them, and then they went to the next town. They went to Iconium. And so rather than becoming distraught, rather than getting upset that things were not going well in the end there in Poseidia, they literally brushed it off. They brushed it off and just headed on to the next town, to Iconium. And, and this is where we find Paul and Barnabas, and, and again, where we pick up in our study this week. As we see through their example, point number one, perseverance is seen through boldness. Perseverance is seen through boldness. And so, as we just read in verses one to seven, these two men, they went to Iconium and, and once again preached the gospel. Verse one, it says, they preached the gospel in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and continuing to persevere and preach Jesus Christ, people just kept on getting saved. People just kept on putting their faith in Jesus and coming to Christ and being saved. And so when a door had closed in the one city, when it, when it had closed in Poseidia, God opened the door in Iconium. But again, 
We see that what happened, what had just happened in the previous city with the Jewish leadership and their attacks against them, once again happened to them again, according to verse 2. Notice that they were stirring up the Gentiles and poisoning their minds against the brothers. And so just as the Jews had done in Poseidia, so they were doing in Iconium. They were stirring up the crowds so that they would turn against Paul and Barnabas and turn against the gospel. And even after God had displayed his power through them, after he had authenticated and, as it says here, bearing witness of the message of the gospel through, as verse 3 calls it, signs and wonders, many signs and wonders which are not recorded for us there. Even after all of that, the damage was done. The city, according to verse 4, was divided. Some sided with the Jews and others, or in some others, with the apostles. And so, once again, persecution arose against these Christian men, this time in the form of being threatened by stoning according to verse 5, or literally having rocks lobbed at you, one after another, which ultimately caused them to leave that city for, according to verse 6, Lystra and Derbe, where they once again, according to verse 7, continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just shook off the dust of their feet and kept going, despite all of the problems. But I don't know about you, but being threatened in my life and driven out of one city would have been enough for me to kind of rethink my life choices, but Being threatened in the very next city and then another city, it would have given me even more reason to pause and to think, at the very, very least, in my my heart and life. That's just being honest with you. But this wasn't true of Paul and Barnabas. It says in verse 3 that despite all of these hardships that they were facing, that they continued to speak boldly for the Lord. They continued to preach the gospel. And folks, this teaches us what true perseverance actually looks like. That despite all of the poor circumstances, and indeed threats to their lives, that they continued to do what God had called them to do. Not out of fear, but according to this verse, how? Boldly. They did it boldly. And folks, this is a real lesson for us today, especially in today's day and age when it comes to being a Christian, because there are so many parallels today. I spoke about it last week, but, but preaching this gospel message, the true gospel message, it will not earn you a lot of favor in the eyes of the world. Again, if you preach it correctly anyways. Living as a true Christian, living as a biblical Christian and not one of your own imagination, living for the Jesus of the Bible and not the made-up one, okay, it will make you be seen by many as something of a freak. Something of a zealot, a fundamentalist, perhaps other worse terminologies being attributed to you. Just how it is. And thus, because of that, it can be very tempting to just not mention your Christianity to anyone. To just not mention to people anything about your faith. It can be very tempting just to avoid talking about Jesus Christ altogether. I mean, after all, what are the two big things that you shouldn't talk about, right? Politics and religion, right? And honestly, I can't blame you for uh, not talking about politics in today's day and age. I don't blame you. I try not to as well. But talking about Jesus Christ, talking about Christ, telling people what, what you honestly believe, preaching the gospel to them, what the Bible actually says, it can make things a little tense with folks in your relationships. And, and thus, most of the time, it's, it's really not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to open up your mouth and share the gospel with others. But believer, I'm going to tell you that, that that, by keeping our mouths shut, That's not what persevering as a Christian looks like. Cowardice and fear, and fear in the face of the world, in face of our friends, that's not of God. It's just not. It's of the flesh. Bible's very clear about this all over the place. One of the most famous verses, 2 Timothy 1.7, what? God has not given us a spirit of what? Of fear. And I would say that this is especially true when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the face of persecution. I mean, after all, Jesus said it in Matthew 10, 28. What did he say? Do not fear those who kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, referring to God. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And thus, what God calls every Christian to is boldness. That's what he calls us to. We are to persevere as Christians, not in a whimpering and weak and hidden way, but in a powerful and bold way that is more fearful of God than it is of man. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 118.6, what did he write? The Lord is on my side. Amen. And I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. Paul and Barnabas, they understood this. They understood that God is the sovereign one and not man. And thus, no matter how much they may kick and how much they may scream and threaten them due to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they needed to keep preaching it no matter what because they feared God more than man. And so they did so boldly. As Luther wrote so long ago, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And thus, I pray that we would persevere as Christians and that we would do so in boldness that trusts in the sovereignty of our great God with an ever-diminishing fear of, of man, fear of, a diminishing fear of the culture and what other people think and what they can even do to us. Pray that God would give each and every single one of us boldness as Christians. But I would also pray that this boldness would be tempered with humility. And that leads to point number two. Perseverance is seen through humility. And so as they moved on from Lystra there, they continued to preach the gospel boldly. And once again, their, their message was authenticated through sign miracles. And again, this is a common thing throughout the book of Acts. We've seen many miracles, miraculous events happen throughout this, this book. In this particular case, it was the healing of a man who, according to verse 8, was crippled from birth and had never walked, never walked once in his life. So everybody knew this. Everybody knew this man's past and knew his background. And so amazingly, seeing that this man had faith in Jesus Christ, that's what the implication is in the text. And believing that despite his condition, that he had never walked, that Christ would one day raise him and heal him of his disability, Paul speaks out to him in this loud voice, according to verse 10. He says, stand upright on your feet, which not only does this man do, but he does so in a springing way. Notice verse 10, it says, he sprang up and began walking. Kind of like Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, right? I kind of imagine that this man, he just kind of jumped to his feet. I mean, if you never walked once in your life and all of a sudden you could do it, you wouldn't just be walking around in a casual stroll. You'd be up and dancing around and jumping and leaping for joy. And again, this is an amazing testimony. It's an amazing testimony to the gospel in that it is a foreshadowing of what Christ will do for all of his people when he returns. I preached on this before, but that is the point of all of the sign miracles. Again, it's to point to Jesus Christ. It's to point to the future hope that we have in Christ. That there will be no paralysis in heaven. That there will be no lame people in heaven. That there will be no cancer in heaven or accidents or COVID or diseases. Jesus is going to heal them all. Amen? That's what it's going to be. That's the point of all of these miracles at the time. To point to Christ. But, just as there are today, there were some in this particular crowd who misinterpreted this particular miracle. They saw the healing of this crippled man as, as some kind of superpower that was innately found in Paul and Barnabas that they had, kind of like some of the faith healers that we have today, right? You've heard of faith healers. And, and by the way, just as a side note, can I just ask a question? Where are all the faith healers during COVID? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we be done with COVID by now if what they're saying is true? Remember that when COVID's over, just side note. But this group actually took it a little bit further than, than the faith healers, okay? They took it a step further, actually thinking Paul and Barnabas to be gods, lowercase g. Take a look at verses 11 and 12. 
It says, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And so, not understanding the power of what they just witnessed and the source of what they had just witnessed, they, they believed that Paul and Barnabas were akin to those, those Greek and pagan Roman gods, Zeus and Hermes. Uh, they saw that this powerful miracle was something that these two men, that they had done in and of their own power at its base. And thus, the only answer in their minds to how this crippled man that had been crippled from birth could have been healed in such a miraculous fashion was that they, Paul and Barnabas, had to have some kind of special powers somehow. That they were the ones that healed the man with their own power and their might. And indeed, for mere men to actually do something like this, to, to, to exhibit this kind of power and, uh, and, and be perceived with this, with this kind of ability, it has the potential to cause a lot of arrogance in the actual miracle worker, in the person who is actually performing the miracle, especially if it actually happens, which obviously in this case it did. They literally healed this man. I mean, it literally happened. The miracle worker could be tempted to believe that, you know, yes, yes, this is my power. This is my power. I healed this man. It all happened because of me and my abilities and my gifting or, or maybe my special prayer and the way that I pray, right? And that's, again, what we see with supposed faith healers and health and wealth gospel preachers today of our day, by and large. They think themselves to be the very, very conduit of God's power. They think themselves to be mini-gods in their own minds, and thus they deserve worship. They deserve sacrifice in the form of, usually in our day and age, send us a little bit of money. You know, send us a lot of money if you can, right? And indeed, that was what those in Lystra wanted to do for Paul and Barnabas. Notice verse 13. According to verse 13, they brought oxen and they brought garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. In other words, they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. They thought so highly of these men and their perceived abilities to heal that they actually wanted to appease them somehow with sacrifice. And when you think about it, this, this kind of adoration... Really, it could have easily been manipulated by Paul and Barnabas, or it could have easily gone to their heads. They could have accepted those sacrifices. They could have accepted that worship from these people. They could have become rulers over them. They could have become gods in their eyes. But as we know from the rest of the text, that's not what they do, right? Pick up with me in verse 14. It says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also... We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained people from offering sacrifices to them. And so... We see here that Paul and Barnabas, they humbly rebuke these folks for giving any kind of credence, giving any kind of credit for healing this crippled man where it didn't belong, namely to God. That's, that's who it belonged to. And in their humility, they simply tell them what? We are just men. We are also just men of like nature, just like you. In other words, they wanted these people to understand that they were no better than anyone else, both even because of the miracles that they performed and indeed the message of good news, verse 15, that they preached, that this, that this message and those miracles were not of them, but they were of the true and living God. They didn't want any credit that they didn't deserve. They didn't want any glory that they didn't deserve. They didn't want any offering. They didn't want any sacrifice made to them as mere men because they knew in their heart of hearts that they didn't deserve it at all, that it was God who did it. 
The only offering and sacrifice that should be made is to the one true and living and powerful God who indeed healed that man, has the power to heal and indeed has the power to save. And thus what we see here, just in application, is that sometimes, sometimes when we do Christian ministry, we are going to be blessed with a lot of influence. We're going to be blessed with a lot of sway over people. Sometimes you're going to be blessed by, by having people who, after you minister to them, that they love you, that they, that they adore you, that they admire you in some way. They kind of worship you in their own minds. You know, maybe, maybe it's a new believer that, that you've led to the Lord, you know, or maybe a brother or sister in Christ that you're discipling and just thinks that you could never do any wrong in, in your mind, that standing right next to Jesus Christ is, is you, right? And you're going to find yourself in those kind of situations as a Christian, especially if you're a mature Christian and you're doing the things that the Lord wants you to do. And when that happens, we can be tempted to become real arrogant real quick. When people are kind of patting you on the back and always affirming you and kind of telling you what a good job you're doing, pride can easily creep in unsuspectingly. When ministry is going well, when numbers are high in attendance or the coffers are filled, we can become prideful real quick. We can become prideful as a church real quick. However, even when things are going very well, we need to be quick to persevere in the faith through the means of humility, through humility, by remembering that our job is not to point people to ourselves but rather it's only to point people to him, only to point people to Jesus Christ. By remembering that Paul and, what Paul and Barnabas said to these Gentiles there in Lystra, that we are just men like you. Nothing more. To not be blinded by pride or, or arrogance or success, but instead see clearly through the lens of humility towards those that we seek to come to Christ. Because, again, there will be times when people adore us for preaching and doing the things that, that God calls us to do and want to sacrifice and bring offerings because of the great things we do. However, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there will also be times when people literally want you dead for preaching the same exact message. And for that, we need faithfulness, which leads to point number three, perseverance is seen through faithfulness. Faithfulness. Read with me verse 19. It says, But, when Jews, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And so, and so amazingly, you had this crowd that in one sentence was literally worshiping these guys. And then within a couple sentences, these same, this same guy was assumed to be dead by literally having rocks thrown at his head. That's, that's what it is. And honestly, I, I really can't think of a better analogy to what gospel ministry oftentimes feels like. I really can't. It often seems like in a matter of literal hours, you can literally be on the top of the world thinking that the ministry is a success, discipling people, people loving you, and then in the next few moments, people seem to want you dead. <laughs> okay? And as a pastor, I empathize with this because there are times when you seem to be making inroads with people where, where God just seems to be working in their hearts, working in their lives. God is doing great and awesome and just mighty things. And then, bam, you get hit with a nasty email. Or, bam, someone comes into your office with a major crisis. Or, bam, somebody dies. It just happens. It's the world we live in. There have been times as a pastor where in a matter of one day, I've been in this room where I have done a wedding, and then in the very next day, I did a funeral. It's, it's what's happened. All of a sudden, that pendulum swings and swings hard real quick. And you feel as if you're being pelted over and over again, stone after stone after stone. And again, I, I want to caveat this because I realize that comparing what Paul and Barnabas, you know, potentially being stoned to death to some of the minor hardships that we face in ministry or as Christians, that it might seem like a stretch. But the fact that Christians and indeed pastors, they, they give up 
over much less is indeed telling of, of where I think we are at spiritually as, as a Christian culture. The lack of perseverance in faithfulness to Christ and indeed to his church over minor and immature scruples is a great indicator that Christians today need a lot of growing up to do. When Christians stop attending a church, for, just for instance, when they stop attending a church because of some minor disagreement with someone, with the pastor or whatever, they lack faithfulness and indeed lack perseverance to Christ. When a pastor quits his church because things are starting to get hard, he lacks perseverance and indeed faithfulness to Christ and his church. When a Christian quits a ministry when it starts getting harder and shows its difficulty, show a lack of faithfulness and perseverance to Christ and his church. And thus, what is needed in the face of major hardships that will indeed happen to you as a Christian is faithfulness, is faithfulness. If you want to persevere as a Christian, you must remain faithful. Again, going back to our text, you'll notice that even after Paul had been stoned and thought to be dead, according to verse 20 and 21, notice, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, notice that, on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Notice that, the next day, the next day, I mean, he went on to Derby. I mean, it's amazing. The very next day, after being stoned and left for dead, Paul got up and indeed went on to the next city where he continued to preach the gospel and make more disciples. That's what he did. And by the way, this time, notice he didn't go somewhere new. Notice, notice the names of the city. He went back to Lystra. He went back to Iconium and to Antioch. Those were the very places where he was being threatened and indeed violently persecuted. He went right back. And so, folks, I'm just going to say that, that, that this kind of faithfulness is what you and I, as Christian men and women, are called to do, especially in the context of the local church. I'm just going to say this. How pathetic is it after we read of stories like this, of, of men who are literally almost killed for Jesus Christ, when Christians, when they get upset and when they leave a church or stop doing ministry because, oh, someone said something that offended me. How pathetic is that? How pathetic is it when Christians give in to a consumer mentality when it comes to their relationship with the local church? Oh, the music isn't the way that I just like it, so you know what? I'm out the door, right? Pastor isn't wearing a tie. Thankful, thankfully, I'm wearing one today, right, for all you tie people. I don't, like, I don't like all the new songs. I don't like all the new people. You know, with the COVID thing, we, we've always had the potential of church getting divided over that. Oh, the COVID standards aren't what I want them to be, and I'm talking about both sides, right? It's... How pathetic is it, the American Christian church oftentimes, how pathetic is it when it comes to faithfulness to the people of God, to the people that Christ treasures most? And so I, I implore you, believer, persevere in the faith. And you persevere in the faith by being faithful to Christ, and indeed you, are, you persevere by being faithful to your local church, by being faithful to the people that God has providentially placed in your life. And you do this through the means of our next point. Point number four, perseverance is seen through caring for other Christians more than yourself. More than yourself. Verse 22, pick up with me. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Poseidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word at Perga, they went down to Attilia. And so, going back to the text, despite being almost killed as a result of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
Paul and Barnabas, they go back to those very cities that were threatening their very lives and faithfully continue to disciple those Christian men and women who came to faith in Jesus Christ. They faithfully opened up God's word for them, as it says, strengthening their souls and encouraging them to continue in the faith. And they even utilized their own personal example of hardship and persecution. They used it as an object lesson to teach them about what being a true and faithful and persevering Christian actually looks like. Namely, that all of us, if we want to live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. That we will indeed suffer many tribulations if we are to enter the kingdom of God. And so they continued on by raising up elders for each one of those individual local churches represented in that area. Pastors, it's the same word to lead them and to continue the work in the ministry before leaving, and then doing the same thing for the Christians there at Poseidia, again, another city that had forced them out. And thus we see that Paul and Barnabas, that they persevered. They continued in the faith by caring more about their brothers and sisters in Christ than they did about their own personal livelihoods, and they did so by caring even more about them than their own well-being. And they wanted to see these people at these churches spiritually strengthened. They wanted to see them cared for and growing in their faith. That's what they wanted. And so, really, in their hearts and minds, it really didn't matter what happened to them. They were going to persevere in the faith and for Christ's sake, no matter what, for his glory. And again, that glory seen through the growth of these Christian brothers and sisters in those places. And folks, I pray that that would be true of you and I today as Eastern Baptist Church, especially in our own personal ministries. That no matter what happens to us, that we would think of our brothers and sisters in Christ above and beyond ourselves. That we would serve Christ by serving in his church to his people out of a heart of love and a heart of care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, wanting to see them persevere as well. One of the things I absolutely love about Eastford Baptist Church, one of the things I absolutely love is the fact that we have so many faithful people. People who have been faithful in this church for so very long have been faithful, some of you forever, <laughs> okay, literally forever. Men and women in this church who persevered through both the great and amazing and glorious times of this church's history, and you persevered through the very dark times in our church as well. We have men and women in this church who, who've loved others, who have not shown them love in return. I can tell you that as a pastor, just the amount of energy and discipleship that goes that some of you are doing right now, and yet you're still here serving, right? Men and women who, despite having been hurt over and over and over again, they still love their brothers and sisters in Christ here at Eastford Baptist Church. They come here week after week, day after day, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And honestly, I just want to say this just from my heart of hearts, that, that, that many of you are just... Just not just an encouragement to me, but an inspiration to me to keep on going as a pastor, to remain faithful in my own life. And that's how it's supposed to work together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I pray that this same faithfulness that is seen through the love of Christ's church, Christ's bride, would indeed be replicated in you and in me. That our church would indeed continue to raise up another generation of Christians who faithfully serve Jesus Christ, serve and love others no matter what. Because ultimately... This kind of perseverance can only come through our awe and our love and indeed our reverence for our great God who indeed saved us, which again leads us to our final point, point number five. Perseverance is seen through reliance in the sovereignty of God. Look with me at the conclusion at the end of, verse four, or of chapter 14, verse 26. It says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he opened the door, how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so we read that after all of this, 
after all their time serving Christ, serving his people, serving in the church, being both loved and hated for preaching the gospel, being both treated as gods, literal gods, and also almost being murdered, that they make their way back to Antioch, where it says that they gathered the church together and indeed declared all that who had done, all that God had done. Everything, everything that had transpired in that first missionary journey, every success, every single failure was as a result of what God had done. Every, as the Verse 27 states, every door that had been opened or closed was because of what God had done. Every soul that was saved was because of God's doing. Every stone that had struck their body was as a result of God's doing. And so what we see here, what we see here is that the underlying and foundational truth that undergirded the perseverance of Paul and Barnabas, namely a reverence for God that was rooted in a deep trust and deep reliance in God's sovereignty. And folks, I'm just going to say this as your pastor, that your understanding and your indeed trust and reliance in the sovereignty of God will indeed be the deciding factor of whether or not you persevere until the end or not. If you, if you view your successes and your failures in life and in ministry as a result of your own handiwork, as a result of your own skill or your own cleverness or your own giftedness or your own swagger, I'm just going to tell you this. You're going to stop serving Christ eventually. It's just going to happen. If your God is a weak God, a God who is not on the throne, a God who is not sovereign and in control, one who is dependent upon your will and your decisions and the things that you do, who's kind of sitting up in heaven and kind of biting his nails, hoping that you'll always do what's right, mark my words, you will fail. You'll stop serving Christ. No, only a God who is completely and utterly in control, who has everything planned from A to Z, from beginning to end, who can and will accomplish every single thing that he has planned and designed to happen can be revered, can be worshipped, and indeed trusted. And if you believe this, in a growing understanding of the sovereignty of God, in, in a growing trust in that good and loving and gracious nature of that same sovereign God, I guarantee you that you will persevere that you will continue on until the end. You're going to persevere again when you realize the truth of verses like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 that says this, He, referring to God, what? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you can trust that the God who saved you by his sovereign hand will indeed keep you persevering by that same glorious and loving and caring sovereign goodwill. And so in conclusion today, believer... I'm just going to tell you this. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Keep persevering in the faith no matter what. And do so with boldness. Do so with a boldness that is tempered, as I said, with humility. Do so with faithfulness to your local church family here at Eastford Baptist Church. And you do that by faithfully serving others and caring for others and taking care of one another, especially during this time of COVID. And finally, you do that by trusting and relying in your great and powerful and loving and caring and indeed sovereign, almighty God. Persevere no matter what this week, believer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for uh, this great and glorious truth. God, I thank you so much for examples like Paul and Barnabas. God, as we look at this chapter, God, we see, oh Lord, we see two men who went through so much. God, we've been looking at them now for quite a, quite a couple weeks. And God, how they had both good times and bad. How there were people who were getting saved and people who admired them and people who just desired to be around them. And then God, at the, 
On the opposite end of the spectrum, you had people who literally wanted them dead. And yet, God, they continued to persevere. After hardship after hardship, after success after success, they labored on. They continued to honor Christ. They continued to preach the gospel. And God, they continued to love and serve and disciple all those believers in all of those various places, despite what it may cost them. Lord, I pray the same for my life. God, I pray that you'd give me perseverance. I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters, by your grace, perseverance. God, that we may continue on, continue to serve you, continue to trust you, continue to proclaim the gospel with boldness, Lord, as these men did. Open our mouths this week, God. Our world needs the gospel. The only message that will change this world is that glorious good news of salvation in and through Jesus Christ alone. And so, God, open our mouths this week, regardless of what it may cost us. And so, Lord, save. As Augustine said, save as you will, Lord. Use us. Use us, God, and give the growth this week. But, Lord, help us to trust you and help us to honor you, Lord, with our lives this week. In Jesus' precious name, amen.